Hi everybody, Derek here. Welcome to Evil Chat number 25. Uh, doing something I haven't done before. I'm doing back-to-back -back, uh, podcasts with the same person, which means our buddy Stu is here. The reason I'm doing that is because we both had an hour we could uh, slide into our schedules, decided to um, decided to pop on off, and it was so good or I thought it was so good I got so much out of it that I thought it had to go up pretty quick now as far as some of the other podcasts coming up I have uh, I have a number in the bag right now three in the bag right now that are going to go up over the next little while uh, another one with Harvey I hope you enjoy those um, those are a little bit different just uh, he's an up-and-coming coach in Britain and him and I just sort of sit down and chat about you know just just that right and somebody with a bit more experience and somebody with a bit less experience going back and forth on coaching um for the hammer guys i got a great interview with uh with mosatara coming up um that's been in the bank for a while actually but that one is going to take a lot of editing so uh just by the nature of it so i'm going to uh so i'll get that up as soon as i can and then i have one it's with a friend of mine from Vancouver. When I was in Vancouver, I did it live, and it's it's uh, it's another one of these little. It's a little different this one, uh, just because of the event that this that this guy coaches. His name's Jerry Dragomir, so that's coming up. And then uh, I haven't done this one yet, but I've uh, organized it and we'll be recording it soon. And that's with high-end movement specialist, one of the most probably one of the world's maybe the world's top movement specialist, Sean Mishka from Emergence. He works with a lot of NFL people. Stu put me on him. And that kind of leads us into this podcast today, which, uh, which is all about skill acquisition and learning. It was not the plan. It's just the way it worked out. But I think this is probably the best podcast Stu and I've done. One of the best ones I've put out, honestly. I got so much out of it. It's, it, it's crazy. I'm going to keep this intro real short, but I do have advice that I would like to give you. And this isn't coming from uh, somebody who's supposed to be an expert or anything like that, quote unquote. It is from someone who has been around a lot with a lot of experience and is starting to notice something. So that's this. So I've been lucky enough to have quite the network of people in my professional life that are uh, very good at what they do, if not the best at what they do. Um, and in doing this podcast, I've had to reach out to a lot of them and ask them, you know, talk to them about coming on and having that conversation with them. And I realized that when like, a lot of these people I actually worked with or spent time with, or had the opportunity to spend a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one time with. And rarely did I take that opportunity. So like Luis Mesquita in Portugal. So I was with him for seven months working with him in Shanghai. Never once sat down and actually had a, a real conversation with him about what we both do. Um, Stu is a great example. Um, we had... Uh, I mean, I didn't really know Stu when I was in Britain all that well, and it wasn't until our holding cap for the Olympics in Portugal in 2012 that him and I sat down uh, and talked for hours about uh, 
you know, about methodology and things like that. And, and I could go on. There's a number of other people. Um, Tom Crick is another huge one. I mean, I saw Tom most days, uh, two or three times a week at least when I worked in England. And we did, him and I did sit down and talk a lot, but I really wish I had tapped into him more than I did at the time. So my, this is my piece of advice. If you work in such an environment, don't wait. Don't keep putting off uh, opportunities to sit down and chat with colleagues and experts, people that might pass through your organization or your environments. Take the take the time because for me, it's always about oh yeah, they're always going to be there. Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. Yeah, we'll we'll sit and we'll chat, and then you know, next thing you know, it's all over and you passed up that opportunity. And I really wish I had a you know, I, I hadn't done that. So, but you know, now I have the podcast. It's, <laughs> so, uh, and so, you know, a lot of this podcast is me going back and picking the brains of some of the people that I used to work with and having conversations about, you know, the things that were, uh, you know, that we were really into that we're really passionate about. Okay. So it, anyways, if you're an up and coming coach or any uh, coach at any level and that, you know, you're in that situation, I would advise you to take advantage of it. Okay. All right. So uh, let's get into it. You know, the, you know who it is. I don't have to really introduce Stu. Uh, so for better or for worse, here it is. Evil chat number 25 with my good friend Stu McMillan. Did you give me permission to record you, Mr. McMillan? Yeah. Yeah, yes. Thank you very Mr. much. I did. Thank you. I, I Thank really you appreciate that. Politeness. I appreciate you. Look so nice we're being, being to each other so far today. What's that? I said, look how nice we're being to each other. Wow. It's well, what we're 30 seconds into this. Give us a, give me a break. Give me, let's, let's give it some time and I'm sure we'll be, you know, anyways. Uh, so, uh, how are you? I don't think we, yeah, I'm all right. You I, are, um, you're the, you're the first person um, I've spoken with today, so I can't be responsible for how uh, how I'm speaking. It normally really? takes me a while to warm up to the day. You know, it's, I'm not like you where I wake up and just you know start talking from from five seconds on. You know, yeah. you will talk to the dog if 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 the dog's around. Well, myself, so um, I talk to myself. Yeah, or yourself. Yeah, that's because yeah, I'm, I'm always there. Yeah, I'm yeah. always listening. Man. <laughs> I'm always, there's always a conversation going on somewhere around me I, i've noticed so i just yep. you know i just engage that's me man i'm a people person um so uh what are we talking about today man we uh I, um, we're sort of going that, up there that, that reminds me so i uh i was oh. 15 or 16 i was no no it's just a just a little aside and i was applying for a job at um I think Coca-Cola. And I was just loading up trucks, you know, just a, you know, a crappy summer job. And they asked me, uh, you know, what's, what's your greatest strength? And I had no idea. Anyway, you're 15, 16. You don't know anything about anything, right? You don't, you definitely don't know anything about yourself. You don't know what you're supposed to be talking about in job interviews. And uh, I said, well, I'm a people person. <laughs> Guy, I've never been a people person. I just thought that that was the thing to say. I'm a people person. So he asked me, 
well, what do you mean by that? I had oh, no, no idea. I said, uh, I just, uh, you know, I, li I like to be around people. I like to talk to people. I like it when people talk to me. All lies. I got the job. I, I got lasted about three days before they figured out that I was lying and I wasn't a people person. I think, I think that was the first job of many that I got fired from. Wow. I've yeah. uh, I've only been fired from one job. you are a job. people person. I am very yeah, much. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, yeah. How do you feel that that has influenced your coaching being a quote unquote people person? Um, it, it's, it's good in the sense that I am good at creating a lot of relationships around me, parents, you know, like when I, when I was like now, you know, I, I can bring people on board really well where it hurts me is in direct coaching. Sometimes I, I can't, I don't, I'm too chatty sometimes. I, I can't keep my mouth shut, you know. I mean, I, I've become disciplined at it, but sometimes, like, I just came back from work, and I was a little bit, you know, it was, I was a bit too chatty today probably, you know. Um, but you're chatty. Is it just, like, small talk chatty or when you're talking chatty. about something technical, yeah. something to do? More, more small. Small talk, okay. More small talk chatty, yeah. And, yeah. and, and How, how you do know. you then – how do you sort of edit yourself when you're giving, you know, sort of the technical instructions, of what you're sort of expecting or wanting from the day? Because I know that you'd, you know, your bias would be to go super deep into it. How do you, yeah, uh, no. uh, how do you, how do you, you know, just sort of. No, I don't actually, I learned not to do that. I, I've trained myself not to do that. I, I, but I still fall into it all the time. But generally speaking, I try to keep my, my rule in coaching technically is to have a theme for the day before it starts, have a cue and stick to that cue as much as we can. Right. Have a theme or have a cue? Like which one? Well, the theme, sometimes the theme is the cue, but yeah. Okay. So good. That's a good question. That's a fair question. Uh, more, more, uh, if, if it's a theme, it'll be something like rhythm and then I won't say much, you know, um, if it's, uh, if, if I really want to focus on a particular mechanic, then it'll be a cue with, with, with more experienced athletes. That's really easy to keep that discipline. It's very easy because their range of, you know, um, their range of expression in terms of what you're going to see in a workout is going to be rather narrow, right? They're, they're going to be pretty stable in their technique. You're, you're looking, yeah, it's, you know, their mistakes are very minute and they're nuanced, but with a beginner, especially in the hammer, you're like, which is what I'm doing now. I mean, they could be all over the place one, one day and all over the place the next day. And then really good the day after that. And, and it's, and so it's so easy to get distracted. And again, especially in the hammer, not that the hammer is that unique, but it, it kind of is because it's the kind of the ultimate chicken and egg event, right? Nothing. It's not linear. So, so, you know, the knock on effect of a bad mechanic or a bad part of the technique you know, you can, you can go either way in the throw with it. Did it, did that come from something before or is the issue more about what that's causing after it? You, do, do you see what I mean? And so it's, um, so it's really, it's really easy to get 
to get uh, distracted. And so you, you, know, you feel it's more important to lock into one particular theme for developing athletes than it is for say elites or can you be you know a little bit more flexible depending because there is so much variability with the you know the execution with uh developing athletes that you you don't always know how they're going to show up on the day i would assume right so mm. then you have a theme in your head that you're kind of this is what we're feeling or what we're thinking about doing today but they show up totally different very variable and maybe you need to be you know, a little bit more open or, or, or flexible to, yeah. to bring in other themes. Is that, I, I, I don't totally, know totally. correct well, or not. But is no, that no, you... no, no, totally. And a lot of that has to do with environment too, right? Like, like a lot of the kids I coach, I'm coaching now are, you know, they're not on a, uh, such a stable schedule. You know, they, some of them come and go. I see them. I may see them once a week. I may see them two or three times a week. It's not, it's not, some are regular, but some are not. And that's difficult, right? So, because when you have a more stable schedule that you can count on, then you can you can uh, you can uh, you can actually schedule in those things. So, a really good example, really good example, is when I was coaching Sophie and Britton, right, and Mark. Um, more Sophie than Mark, because Mark, Mark, for the most part, wasn't funded when I coached him, so he had a job and was kind of usually had one workout a day, not so much two, but Sophie had two, and. At Loughborough, what we had, we had a really nice indoor throwing cage where we so could can, throw. Can I, let me just interrupt well, you for a yeah, second. Yeah, Sorry. Uh -uh. Uh, so, how old were were Sophie and Mark at, at the time? Like, what are we talking about here? Eighteen to twenty-one for Sophie, and probably twenty-one to twenty-three for Mark. The three, three or four years I coached, three, I think it was three seasons, competitive seasons. So, so Sophie was came with, you know, she had been well coached uh in north england um by dave smith um but was not you know not just not there yet technically you know where she would eventually go uh but she was in a pretty good place but the thing is is we had this indoor cage and net that we threw into and she trained twice a day and it was not long before she was throwing 10 times a week right so five days a week twice so we came up with this schedule that worked really well where we in the morning we would throw into the net even if the weather was good and even in the summer we would in the morning we would throw into the net and that would be all about that would be all technique and that would be all about video and analyzing i mean it wasn't we we weren't that analytical but it was you know we we had a set number of throws we stuck to that but we would break it down and talk and feel things out and then in the afternoon it was about throwing we'd go outside and it was about throwing far. It was about throwing, right? Like, and I would say almost nothing. And w whatever, you know, whatever we worked on in the morning, we would just, it was almost unspoken that we would, she would work on that in the afternoon. And it was about, and I would just wouldn't say much. And it was more about rhythm and speed and throwing for distance. And that worked out beautifully, but we could, but we did, would, did you... that every day. Yeah, you say it was unspoken. Like, what part of that was unspoken? The the actual coaching through the session, or like, did you what we based what, upon based upon what was going on in the morning? Did you talk about okay, that was we, this was good, that was not so great, blah blah blah. We're gonna work on this this afternoon. So, did you talk? Yeah. Did you have a, yeah. a set theme that you would sort of identify together, or 
I mean, how directive yeah. were you with that? Did you say, this is what we're going to do this afternoon? Or was that even with so, a younger athlete like, well, like Sophie, no, who's question. 18, 19, 20, um, like, did you have a conversation around what the theme would be? Yeah, we would. So in the morning, I mean, I mean, generally we, you know, we knew what the issues were, but they, you know, like any athlete, they come and go, but generally speaking, you know, wh whatever we sorted in the morning, whatever issue we were working on, I'm, I'm really big on experimenting with cues, right? So I'm always trying to find the right cue to get them into the right position or blah, blah, blah. And whatever we worked out that morning, whatever that cue was, whether it was new or something we'd been using for a while, we would, I would say, okay, so in the afternoon, I just want you to think about that one thing, whatever the one cue, and I keep it as short as you can. And then, and then at most, what I would say in the afternoon is right as she would step in the circle and be about to wind, I would say the cue, right? So I would say, stay down, uh, push it to the left, uh, get back whatever it was. And I would try to just keep it at that. And, you know, and that worked really well. Like it worked really, really well. Right. Um, and you know, I mean, and it was good for her because she's like, uh, you know, she's like most athletes, she's very results oriented. So, you know, she had the best of both worlds in that situation. Right. Is like, she, she was the beauty of throwing into a net. A lot of coaches don't like it, but the to me, the beauty of throwing into a net is it takes out that, that drive for distance and they can actually execute right so i got i got two kids right now that are quite you know they they've got some potential and the difference between what they do into a net and what they do outside is quite large because the moment i get them outside they um you know all hell breaks loose because you know and then i just came back from a workout where her name, her name's Dizzy. I call, I, I nicknamed this girl Dizzy. She, uh, um, she, um, you know, she's, she, she probably out of 25, 30 throws we took today, she probably hit three that were, that looked good and stable like they do indoors. The other ones are just, she's dragging the shit up because she's just so, so after the result, right? And that, you know, and I said to her, look, that's just the way it is. That's the, that's, this is normal. It, it's, you know, it's maybe one or two throws out of 10. Whereas in indoors, it's seven or eight out of 10 that are, you know, technically where you want them. But you just, you know, she throws only twice a week, right? Which, which is more than most girls in high school are going to throw, but not like, not like she's throwing 10 times a week like Sophia's right so I was I said to her you, know, you just, you just gotta wait it out you just gotta that that two or three out of ten will become four then five then six and, you know. yeah so is that that was my question right is that just a matter of time and you're yes. just waiting or do you have any specific sort of strategies to put in place to try to decrease the amount of time that that takes basically you're talking about the stability of a skill it's stable in one context it's not stable in another so how do we make it stable in the context that they're actually going to be competing in? And then the next question, I guess, would be, okay, once she can do that when she's outside by herself, is it just a matter of, of, of experience time before she can be stable in a competition, for example? Or, is that, or do you have things that you try to implement in training or in practice to try to, uh, you know, 
to wow. increase okay, that stability. Those are good questions. Okay, so you know this is actually good because I think you can probably help me out with this because it's uh, you know I mean that's something you know I, it'd be be easy for me to sit here and say yeah that's something all coaches deal with and you know but I figured it out no I haven't <laughs> it's always something I'm trying to figure out for me okay so the first question was how how do I stabilize it, it, it the pro again I'm not trying to put the hammer out there is harder uh, and then coaching anything else but rhythm in the hammer is so essential but again it's a chicken egg thing you can't really it's hard to establish a rhythm if you can't hit two or three if you can't hit the proper position so you're always going back and forth from teaching positions to beginners to to allowing them to free up and do rhythm right i've really changed my thoughts on this since believe it or not i've really changed my thoughts on this since i talked to patty because uh uh um Patty McGrath, right? You know who I'm talking about, right? Uh, that's uh, that's. Um, oh my God, Jesus! You, you you fucking arrogant sprint coaches. Anyways, Patty McGrath is probably one of the probably one of the best athletics coaches all around across the board. The way that I would define it in the U.S. Any event. Because this, he coaches Rudy Winkler, who just broke Lance Steele's American record. That was 27 years old. Okay, coached him since he was a kid. Okay, and he has his picture online of this, this or there's a video he showed that's online of Rudy, his first ever weight throw. Rudy does not look like the kind of kid that you're gonna look search out to throw the hammer, right? Uh, I think he's pretty tall. He's a pretty big dude, but he's uh, but he's you know he's kind of Anyways, so, but, and, but Patty coaches, you know, he coaches across the spectrum, right? He coaches, starts them off at nothing, build, put, uh, takes them to college level. If they go off to college, they do that. Then they come back to him. So he coaches from, from beginner right to elite, right? I, I have a affinity for coaches like that. Not everybody can do it, of course, but anyways, so after talking to him, he's like, you know, my way of doing, of coaching Hammer, and I've tried both ways, part and whole, um, is, you know, has always been to teach, you know, teach the first elements, the winds, then the entry, then then establish a one-turn throw, get that good, don't allow them to do two turns until they can do one per turn properly. And Patty, in the interview I did with him, he said that he used to do that, but then he he changed where day one he's he gets them to do three turns no matter how bad it is no matter how long it takes he said sometimes it takes two three hours but we do three turns no matter how ugly it is they do three turns and then from there it's polishing bonder truck does it the same way too right so i started that's how i started doing that this year and i found it to be quite effective but it's it's very um you know it's risky especially especially with here with the drive in high school for scholarship because I guarantee you right now Dizzy who's on three turns will throw further with one or two right now and she's established three turns with a decent rhythm it's good it looks when it's good it looks really good right but I could I could just drop a turn and she'd throw five meters further easy right now right so you know that, but so that's the that's the 
that's the that's the struggle with it, right? So I don't know if I answer your question, but I guess to to establish that stability, uh, I mean, you just you you have to have repetition, right? You just you have to have repetition, and um, you know it's not always easy to get it. This girl also throws shot and disc, and she's good at those. And and you know, anyways, um, what was the other question? Oh, do I have any yeah, you, strategies? Yes. Yeah, so, first what? of all, you called me arrogant. I didn't. I didn't appreciate that. I've been very nice to you so far. We're, you are not an arrogant person as an individual, as a fucking coach. coach. All coach, all sprint coaches are arrogant pricks. I'm not an arrogant prick. I'm a very nice guy. I'm very humble. Relative to throws coaches, okay. Relative to throws coaches. No, I would say even relative to throws co coaches, I'm a I'm a nice and humble human being and i and i take offense sure. to you calling me an arrogant prick all right okay uh, okay i take that back i'm, and, I'm really sorry can we continue because we were having a good conversation there and then you yeah we can it's all. then you're, yeah, you, know, you didn't really answer the, the question i mean I, you, you bring up a really good um you know talking point that i think we could talk about for a long long time and i think what i think what would be really interesting i think you should have a conversation with somebody who knows this area a little bit better than i on the the benefits of of quote unquote repetition and the benefits of um you know decontextualizing or isolating technique in in uh you know with the goal of trying to make or build a more stable skill and i think there's a lot of things within that that we take for granted that isn't necessarily true and we take them for granted just because there have been traditionally how we have done it for decades and i feel like a lot of the information is um you know a, a lot of the a lot of what people are doing in this community now i think would be really useful for coaches in track and field especially in the throws where it's it's a pretty discreet skill you know, obviously, uh, you know, the hammer is a little bit less discreet. There's, there's, you know, what do you a, a mean rhythm by call. discreet? Sorry. Discreet. It's just, it's just Concrete. one thing, right? There's not, there's not a lot of rhythm to it. Like sprinting, okay. like a sprinting skill is, is, you know, you do the same thing over and over and over again. Hammer this, this, yeah. how many turns in hammer? Is it three, three turns? Three to hammer? four. Three, three to four. Well, so it's a little yeah. bit, you know, it's not quite like say shot or, or well, you know, they, some others, but world, a world-class rotational shot put, coach and discus coach would probably yeah. give you an argument on that but but I, but i get what you're saying go ahead yeah yeah i mean you know what i mean so it's just i feel like you know many coaches the way that they would treat this this building a stable skill is they try to you know they have a model of what the throw should be they teach to this model and they, their goal is basically to get the athlete that they're coaching to look, to like, look like this model right. over and over and over and over and over again. And the closer that they can get, you know, this tight, tight bandwidth, and if they can just get them looking really consistent over the course of time, that you've built a stable skill. And I don't necessarily agree with that. That's, uh, that's I, You know what? It's funny you say it because I've always wanted to have I – mean, I'm not – I've always wanted to have this conversation with you. I've always, it's been on the list. So I'm glad. You yeah. Brought it up, so. I, I'm, I'm not sure if the conversation is today because I mean, it's, um, 
Yeah, I know. Like we, I said, you're the first person I've spoken with today, so my brain isn't really well, coming. Well, let's not up. leave it. So just give no, me no, some I'm not, no, I'm not going to leave it. Yeah. I'm, no, I'm not going to leave it. The, the, see, the one thing I kind of look at this from a global, you know, heuristic standpoint is I feel like skill stability is best built at the edges of the technique, not the middle of it. So you've got, let's say, you know, and I, I don't know the throws, so I can't really speak in your language, but let's take the sprint, right? So you sprint, you've got all these variables within a sprint. You've got stride length, stride frequency. You've got, um, you know, airtime, ground contact time. Let's just take those four okay. pretty basic ones. So at one end of that technique, you've got a really long stride length and a really short stride frequency and a really short ground contact time and a really long flight time that's one end of the technique right yeah and on the other end is the exact opposite of that so it's a, a long ground contact time a short flight time a really long um uh stride length and a really short really small or low uh, stride frequency but are, are, and that's are, the other end but couldn't you so just call that the, good and bad technique those two ends no not necessarily no not okay. not at all okay because no, it's all individualized right you, okay. you, if you i mean you can only t call that good or bad if every single athlete's exactly the same and right on your model. And that's, we, as we know, it's not, that's not how human beings work. We're all individuals right. and we all have our own ideal model skill or model technique. It's, it's our goal is to figure out where that model is based upon the athlete that's in front of us, understanding that it's an, it's a dynamical system, meaning that they change every single day and every time we see them they're slightly different the athlete that you that you coach today is going to be different tomorrow and it's going to be very different from next year especially with developing athletes and will be very very different in five years time so we have to understand that that technique is also dynamic the skill is also dynamic so it's um it's so let me go back to what i was saying there so at, at one end there you have you know one limit or one edge of that technique and on the other end you've got the other edge and I feel that skill stability is best built by exploring the edges, not necessarily just trying to repeat this, this one skill in the exact same way mm -hmm. over and over and over and over again. There's no variability within that. And with, this, with, with no variability, there's no adaptability. So the athlete can't adapt. The, the athlete then can't adapt to different contexts, different environments, different situations, because all they know is this one, they have a really tight bandwidth and any time they're outside of that bandwidth, they're lost. They've never been there before. So it's understanding when to, be at this edge, the... when to be at this edge. And then just always sort of play around in these edges. And yes, sometimes you have to go in and perform, right? right. So our goal today is just to perform. It's not necessary to learn today. It's not, ne it's not necessary to, about stabilizing your technique today. It's just going out. We're just going to throw, right? Yeah. That's, and, okay. But we know that also that performance and learning are two very separate things i don't know what your experience is but in mine the best sessions the ones that the athletes perform the best we learn next to nothing on those sessions the best sessions are those ones where the you know they're struggling with their performance we're trying to we're, we're together we're coming up with these solutions to these struggles but putting together the strategies to these struggles these things that they're really struggling with within the session and at the end of it you look back and you say man that was a rough session today i'm not sure if my performance was that great but i learned a hell of a lot today those are the sessions that we want we don't want the sessions where everything just goes great everything's right oh, in I the middle you. of that yeah. technique okay right? one thing here though okay is that i totally get what you're saying right and 
I need to learn more about this. But here's the thing. You're, you're coming from the perspective of a sprint coach. And everybody, I mean, let's face it, unless, you're, unless you are starting to coach someone who has never, ever ran before, which is uh, you're never going to do, <laughs> right? They have a model already that's intrinsic to them, right? Because everybody runs. Not e nobody who ever picked up the hammer throw had ever thrown the hammer before. But, but, but you, do you see what I'm saying? There's no, there's no real movement to um, that. There's no natural movement to the hammer. It's not like, it's not like, you know, that's how we do. That's how we get from A to B or that's how we do go upstairs or something. So, yeah. So I agree with that a hundred percent. What you, 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 you nailed it there. Right. So when you look at the amount of variability that you look at, you look to introduce in training, it's sort of a, it's a bit of an inverted U. When you have somebody who's just starting out in a skill, it, you keep it pretty, there's not a lot of variability. This is the model. This is what I'm gonna coach you to this model. As you get a little bit better and we can start exploring the edges a little bit more, we can start adding a little bit more variability. We can start really expanding your different, different range of solutions that are available to you. And as you get better and better and better again, we might tighten up that bandwidth and just ask a little bit more and just challenge them a little bit more. So you're right. You get somebody brand new. It's this is the technique. And then as I get to learn you as an individual, as you get to learn yourself and how you move, there's going to be some variability around that technique. And we might, we might choose a more, appropriate technique based upon your say morphology or whatever you know your action capabilities or whatever constraints that you may have mm -hmm. but then we start adding a little bit more variability and a little bit more and what you find then is the skill becomes more and more and more stable mm -hmm. and then we can start reducing okay. the variability can, as we can, start can we as just, performance we, becomes a little bit more important quick question just for partly for me <laughs> partly for I know some listeners like define variability in in in, in what you're saying you're talking about the range of ex, of of movement or like like the range within the technical model that you'd be willing to accept in terms of whatever whatever landmarks or positions or angles or force applications or whatever it is that's what you're saying okay okay yeah I got it yes so yeah so here's the thing though also again well i i mean i think this is probably a, a good conversation a sprint coach and a hammer coach right so you, we have this other problem in a hammer okay and this is uh that is you know i say this all the time right um the hammer is more like the, the only other event in the sport that is like the hammer really in this sense is the pole vault okay now how how, how are the hammer and pole vault related they're the only two events where not only is and i'm not only is the athlete trying to apply force to whatever it is okay the ground the implement but the implement is giving force back to the athlete and it's something they have to negotiate okay so as the speed of the ball picks up it has more and more pull to it and that is a that's something you have to deal with okay now you can talk about force applications in other events. And of course I know physics, you know, you put force in the ground, it comes back to you, but that's not what I'm talking about in the pole vault. It's the pole. They bend the pole store, or they call it store energy in the pole to where it gets maximum bend. And then the pole extends 
right, straightens out, and they have to negotiate that that force. You don't see that in the other events. And the other thing that is really odd about the hammer, it's the only event, and I can't think of too many other sports, let alone athletics events, where you're where you don't leave the ground, right? Like you you are in contact with the ground throughout the whole thing. So, and that's not, that's just a sort of an aside, but the other one's way more important because when you start talking about drills and technique, there's a big difference between doing what you might call a shadow turn or learning technique with a stick or foot, you know, footwork, let's call it quote unquote with a, with a beginner. I'll, first thing I'll do is I'll, I'll put a stick in their hands and teach them the footwork. Right. But after a while, I throw that out as soon as possible because without having a hammer in the hand, then the way that they negotiate their body weight and the balance is going to be completely different than when it's going to be when you have a hammer. Because when you have a hammer in your hand and it's pulling, you, you are going to, you're going to counter your weight against it. If you take out the hammer, you fall on your ass. So why do a drill where... If, if you look at the hammer, you know, let, let's say, you know, we say the, when the ball goes to the left. So when the ball is on the upswing and you're, and let's say an athlete has a stick in their hands and they're pretending it's a hammer, hammer wire, and they're turning to the left, those may look the same, but they're completely different dynamics. So why teach one over the other? Well, you have to teach it somehow, I guess, but I, I just teach it so they, they, they get enough of it. I mean, sometimes it's like, only in the first second workout and then I throw it out and then I then as soon as they can competently do it with a hammer I stick to doing only turns with the hammer yeah I mean it's it's I, for, yeah, for sure I mean there's a lot of things that we're talking about there and there's a lot of different ways that we could take that um let's just just let's let's agree upon a couple of definitions so we can have a starting place um okay. the difference between technique and skill is something that people people sometimes use those terms as one and the same, right? Um, where they're not. So skill is the application of the sport-specific technique within the context of the performance. So in context, essentially, within the game. It's in competition. It's with all of the information that is provided and, and within the environment where it exists. That's the skill. If we're trying to become a better hammer thrower, the skill that we're worried about is the skill in competition, okay. where the technique is the application of whatever the ability that the, it requires, but without context. So it's sport specific. It's the application, but that you take away some of the context. So it could be, like you said, with Sophie, uh, throwing into the cage in the morning, you're working on technique there you're not working on skill like two yeah, very no, different no. things yeah that's when you're working with your with your young girl that you said you're you're working with now she hits six or seven into the cage and only one one or two out of ten out in the field because what you've added there is context mm. you've added the information so there's a totally different mindset the arousal is very very different when you're actually trying to stabilize a skill and stabilizing a technique and there's a big, big gap in between the two that I don't feel like a lot of coaches really, truly understand how to how to breach. Well, how that, to would, that was that. my next question. 
Yeah, that's 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 <laughs> so the me, challenge, right? That's, you've, that's you've, the you've, thing. you've done a way more study on this than I have. And by the way, let's. Yeah, ask well, that's what I mean, and that and that's where I feel. You know, Derek. I mean, it's you are the expert in developing athletes. That's not me. Like I, I it's I have the easiest job in sport. I've got already elite people. You know, so it's it's wow. like I I don't know what it's I would not do. easier. Like, honestly, it's different. I, I say like, that all the time. It's that again. It's not easier. It's different. It's not, it's not, it's not. You no, it's got, easier. You know. I, I think it's easier. I think it's easier to be an elite coach than it is to be a very, very good developmental wow, coach. That's well Let's put. say, okay. Let's, I think it's easier to be a very good elite coach than it is to be a very good development coach. I don't think there's a lot of very good development coaches um, because they don't understand what the challenge, the, the specific challenges are. I don't also, by the way, feel there's a very there's a lot of very good elite coaches because it is quite easy because sometimes you can just, you, you know, the, the, the job is done for you. You've got a bunch of freak shows and you just, mm -hmm. you know, write programs and some of them are going to get better regardless, you know, it's in spite of you. So it's uh, I, I don't, and the same with developing athletes, right? I mean, they're developing. So it's mm -hmm. sometimes you can just sit on the couch at home and they'll get better, yeah. but that's neither here nor there. Right. So it's, it's like, well, well I feel but, but, but it's how, very, how, how do we close that gap? That was my question. Like, what? Like, what are your thoughts on? Yeah, it? I know what your question okay, was. Okay, sure. I, I just, I just want to make sure you weren't get, getting away there. No, no, I'm not. I'm not running away from it. I, 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 I didn't say running I, there's away. A caveat I said getting away. Okay. There's a caveat here, is where like your expertise is in developmental athletes, and mine isn't. So I don't know is my answer okay. to it. Okay. I, I, I would if you said that you know Bondarchuk works on the entirety of the throw. And maybe decomposes, maybe takes away some context, but doesn't take away pieces. That's probably where my intuition would go, rather than isolating it. But I'm not certain about that, right? If you've got somebody who's coming in and throwing, and they don't know what a throw is, and they've never yeah. even seen a throw yeah. before, it's very different. Like you, as you totally. quite rightly said, it's very different from running. Like we're yeah. kind of we're all born to run, right? Yeah. We can all do that. We we understand what that what that looks like and what that feels like without having to be taught how to do it. In fact, in most cases, if we're not taught, we're going to be better. So, you know, I look at it this way, right? If the goal is to develop a technique, then we need to isolate the training to the extent where the technique can be appropriately challenged. And this is very different for everybody, right? For like a seven-year-old kid, it's almost going to be fully decontextualized. Otherwise there's way too much information in the system. It's too chaotic. There's not, there's never going to be any stability there. There's just far too much variability. And for an elite, it may just be a small level of decontextualization, right? So in this sense that, you know, the, it, for, you know, the, the way I kind of sometimes talk about this is I talk about the content of a movement and the context and, you know, the context of the movement obviously is the skill in context in, 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 in uh, competition and the content is you know all the action capabilities that are that are required needed that form the basis of that skill so where does the athlete fit in that dynamic in that continuum between the content of a movement and the context how much context do we need to remove to find that optimal challenge point for each individual athlete on the technique that we're trying to work yeah, on yeah and i feel like it's just we don't get up to that optimal challenge point enough we want something that looks really really good and we're just, and that just makes us feel like they're learning because it looks good, but they're not. As I said, I think we have to challenge them. We need to allow for more variability. We need to explore the edges more. Mm -hmm. Now, those edges, as I said, 
are going to be different based upon each individual, right? You just got to, but you have to understand where they are. And we can't just always look for this right in the middle. Once you've got, as I said, once you've got an understanding of what it should look and feel like from an athlete perspective, then we need to start exploring those edges, like challenges, challenging the athletes to the point where they're really having to work to figure stuff out. And then adding a little bit of context and adding a little bit more context mm. and adding a little bit more and then pulling back and just working on so, technique again and then yeah. challenging them so again. So moving more towards making it a skill. Yeah, it, it's yeah. this oscillation right. over time, but always at that the edge where the learning exists, mm -hmm. you know, and we just it's we can't operate under the assumption of the two assumptions. We can't operate that just because the athlete uh, you know, is training better and the technique looks great, that it's going to be a stable skill in competition. No, totally, we know that's totally, not true. Totally. Right. And we also can't um, operate under the assumption that just because it, it looks good and they're performing well in training that they've learned anything. Right. Because well, generally, if you've got, right. if you've got 10 sessions and all 10 of those sessions went money, and they would look, they just look great every single time. Then you had a, that's not good. I don't want that. I never want that. I want them to, to struggle few, through at least half of those sessions. I want to challenge them. We have to, that's our job. And, and you do that by how, as a sprint coach, adapting the, the training yeah, it's, session it's, or how did you, the environment? You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's too many of us give the, give the answers to the athletes, right? Rather than you know, putting them in positions where the athletes have to figure it out themselves. That's how you learn. That's how I you learn that. anything. Yeah, yeah, you don't do learn that. anything by being told anything. Yeah. Anything. Right. You think about what it how you learned as a kid. Yeah. You learn by figuring it out. Yeah. If you were told the answer by your parent or your teacher, guess what? You didn't learn that. You were just told the answer. It's the same with coaching athletes. If we give them the answers, then we're doing them a disservice. They're not learning anything. That's the job of a coach is to put in the put the athlete in a position where they have to figure out the answers themselves. And our and we just provide guardrails, right? Yeah. We have a theme, you know. It's it's the same. It's it's kind of prescription rather than facilitation, or mm -hmm. facilitation rather than prescription. We don't prescribe everything. We facilitate it, right? If the athlete is, you know, we have these guardrails that we set, and if they're outside of the guardrails and then we're not comfortable with the way they're moving, our job is just to just to nudge them back inside the guardrails, right? Yeah. You know what? So I got a couple. And if that doesn't work, maybe we have to be a little bit more prescriptive from time to right. time if they're getting too far out, right? right? But let me, let me, uh, I, I, we, we, we promised each other beforehand we're going to keep this to an hour. So we got about 20 minutes. So we're at 41 minutes. So, but I, uh, it brings me up. This is a question I was going to ask you a while back. But before I get to it, I, I just want to say one thing. So I got this other kid that I just started um in the hammer uh his name's Evan and his dad was a was a uh was a Jamaican long jumper at a at a I would say a high performance level I think he he might have been on an Olympic team actually I'm not sure but anyways he um this kid man when I when he first started picking up the hammer like he just he his body just could figure it out like it was incredible but lately it's this his his natural intuition and ability to accelerate the hammer which is the hardest thing to teach an athlete is to how to actually accelerate it properly and this kid figured it out in one workout two workouts 
it's now that is his worst enemy. Okay. Be, and he's over rotating. He's got, you know, and he's, I think he's getting a bit discouraged. I mean, he'll, he'll come around, but I think, you know, part of that, I, I've been blaming myself because he's doing really well, but, but I've been getting greedy. Right. So as he gets better, I want it to, Oh God, if he, you know, I fall into that trap, right. Of, Oh God, if he just did this, Oh, wouldn't it go further? And so I, and the, I've, I've said this again, it's another one of these things I've said before you, when you have an athlete like that, I broke my own rule. When you have an athlete like that, that's that good of a learner. Sophie was like this. Okay. Dylan was like this. Gary Reed was like this. And every coach listening to this has had ten, knows exactly what I'm talking about with athletes like this. They can learn so well. You better be careful what you tell them because they're going to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so if you, if you're not, if you don't know, if you don't have a model or a technique, or if you don't know what those variability parameters are, let's say in the, context of this discussion well then you'd better figure them out quick because you know you're you're gonna you know you 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 could they're so easily led down a path if you say too much right that's the first thing the second thing i wanted your comment on is um remember the lithuanian girl i was co i was coaching earlier this year started in in um in february so she when she came to me um uh, Agna was her name. Um, she, um, she'd thrown about 60 meters in competition. Um, maybe, I don't know what she'd thrown in work on, maybe 63 or something on average, a low sixties. And <clears throat> she was largely self-taught, had been told, told a few things over the internet, you know, and you know, YouTube videos and stuff like this. And, you know, she had some really bad habits and one in particular was, is like the cardinal sin in hammer throwing, which is, you know, she pulls on the left side and, and I knew enough that, and she'd only been thrown about two or three years and she's very, 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 very talented. So I thought, okay, so I have to make a decision here. What am I going to do? Am I going to go with the, with the established technique, the model that's in her head, right? What, what she does, which was four turns with a toe turn entry um, she was, you know, pulling on the left side, very, very, uh, you know, not a lot of time in double support, breaking basically all the basic rules, right? But lots of people do that and throw far, okay? That needs to be said. So, and I thought, well, what am I going to do? I'm, I mean, I know I can just apply my training met methodology to it and she's going to grow right? Like she's going to grow just simply because she hadn't been throwing that long, only three, four years top, maybe three years tops. And she's very talented, right? Or I can try to change the technique, try, try to go, try to shift her to a different model. But I know how hard that is in a hammer. Once they start pulling on the left side, it's almost impossible to stop at. If they've been doing it for a few years, it's very, very difficult. Okay. So what I decided and I meant to bring this up. This is on our list of questions somewhere when we started doing, you and I started talking. What, what, what I decided to do is essentially what I think what you've been talking about. I said, okay, when she, when she moved to Chicago, we started throwing. I said, okay, what we're going to do, we're, we're ripping everything apart. Like, in other words, I'm, I thought I'm going to make her environment, the context of which she's throwing, we're not talking about competition, but the you know the context 
mechanically so different that maybe it, it, it'll be different enough. It'll be almost like starting over again with a fresh palette, right? So what I did is I, I changed everything. I took her from four turns to three turns. I took her from a, a toe entry to a heel entry. Uh, I took her initially from two wines to three wines. I I mean, everything I could think about to change, I changed right off. I, I had her start, right? Just because it's so, it, it, so there was enough contrast there that maybe she could get out. And goddamn if it didn't work, right? Like, but she was another one of these movement geniuses that she would, she learned so fast. And I think what happened now, this is where the, you know, I, I want your thoughts on that. But also what happened was she got to a point where she was, um, she'd pick up things so fast that at one point it was, she really had a good, decent throw. And I, I don't know if you remember the video I posted on Twitter where the hammer slipped out of her hand and it hit the camera. Remember that one? Got like 20,000 views on Twitter. <laughs> well, I, I actually had a number of coaches message me and say that like like that's what I've been trying to do with my my thrower right I mean she really got to a good point and then it, things kind of fell apart but and she you know she put six meters on her pb and blah 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 it was all so very successful and then but then things fell apart like what are your thoughts about that because I what I think happened because her technique did start to falter in the summer um and I think what happened was in my mind the way I see it is that she picked up all these different changes and different elements that I all she was hitting all these positions but we never gave any one of them enough time to stabilize like as soon as she got it I got greedy and I'd move on to the next point I wanted to do you know the next position I wanted to hit and she could do it but it kind of caught up to us because down later on when again you when you recontextualize that into a competition it wasn't it wasn't wasn't necessarily there for her. yeah um yeah there's a, there's a couple things there for sure i i think that's a really interesting example i mean it gave. did work i um, think <laughs> well it, it worked up to a point yeah she ran she threw she threw further yeah um it, it works if you're continuing to work with her and she's continuing to to throw further and she's competing well. And so you can make the argument that it didn't work, but, you know, first and foremost, before somebody, you know, you see an aberrant technique or a poor technique, quote unquote, something that we feel is a bad technique. And we, you know, there, we have to, we have to understand why that technique is there how long that technique has been that way and then how long it will take for that technique to be another technique which you you did you kind of did the work on you knew that it was going to be a long-term process but you also you as you admitted you weren't patient enough through the process on each component part of the technique to allow it to stabilize now if you've got a, a fairly elite athlete and she was a fairly elite athlete who whose technique is fairly embedded within their system. They've been moving a certain way for a certain number of years. You're signing up for a, a minimum nine to 12 month process before you've got a new stable technique. 
because yeah. that's how long it takes you to undig that attractor well where the technique is in if you're and lucky. build another one that's stable, yeah. right? It takes a long yeah. time. If you're good nine and to lucky. 12 months. Yeah, yeah. yeah nine, nine to 12 months is, is, is good. You know, we, um, you know, look at Ricky Fowler, for example, right? So I, you know, we, we used to coach uh, Ricky Fowler's wife. So we, we know Ricky and we know his team a little bit. And, you know, he, he got a new coach, I think four years ago Who's now. Ricky Fowler? Ricky Fowler's a golfer. So he's oh. an elite golfer. He was once number two or number three ranked golfer in the world. Oh, wow. Three or four years ago, he got a new coach. The coach Sorry, went Ricky. to him and said, listen, um, listen, it's you're elite. If you really want to be elite, like you want to be super elite, we've got to make a few changes to your technique. Right. And four years later, he's now ranked number 60 or number 70 in the world. And, you know, he's missing cuts. He hasn't had a win in four years. I mean, it's, we you know look at Tiger's struggles over the years when you know his bad back or his bad knees forced him to start changing technique and he was never the same again either right it's 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 you have to understand as a coach what you're signing up for whenever you make that decision now of course that's a lot easier when you've got a 15 year old or a 16 year old or a 17 year old because the techniques are by definition at that point not stable they're not stable yet yeah you know, so it's it's a lot easier to change a unstable technique than it is to take a stable technique, take it apart, and then build another stable mm -hmm. technique because it requires you as a coach to actually take it apart to change it. You can't just build another one on top of it. You actually have to mm -hmm. deconstruct the old stable technique to build another one. So I thought that was that was interesting of what you said. And I think that's probably a bit of a warning for many coaches who understand what they're getting into here yeah. when they, when they are looking to change a technique. Yeah. I, I should say, I should say something there, uh, a disclaimer or a warning there that this girl was, although she was, you could at 66 meters, she's sort of bordering high she's high performance bordering elite in performance she was not elite in in experience training experience she had only she'd really picked up the hammer in college and you know hadn't had really only thrown it i think for about i think the this year was probably her fourth year throwing maybe you know okay so there's a discrepancy. but it's not my point my point is that she re well it kind of is my point because she really was on the edge of where uh, she was almost at the point of no return where I would have left it. I would have just said, nah, we're going to get you strong. We're going to, we're going to change your methodology and I'm just going to do minimal input on, on your technique. But we took the gamble to actually try to try to deconstruct it because like you said, you know, I said like, it's going to fall apart at first. It's going to go down and it's going to get ugly and I'm going to be, I'm going to confuse the hell out of you. And I'm probably going to frustrate you, which I'm sure I did in many ways. It, it was by changing I mean, I'm a real experimenter when it comes to uh, technique. I'm always playing with different cues, different, different, you know, um, different ideas. I learned, you know, I mean, I've always been that way, but I really learned that from Botterchuk, right? Botterchuk just was, will play with anything, but, but, you know, the thing with Bonnerchuk is that he doesn't have the English to really to have a, a great inventory of cues, right, when he's coaching a, an, Engl uh, an English-speaking athlete. But anyways, 
And so I, you know, I did, I frustrated her. Uh, I, I, but I warned her about that, you know, and, and well, yeah, I, I, I think it did go well. I mean, we're, we're not together for other reasons, but it's, uh, but it, uh, you know, so it, it was, it was just an interesting yeah, thing so, for me. I mean, it was a nice little experiment, but. Yeah, there's a few things in that too, right? Because our when we're trying to quote unquote build a new technique, build something new, correct something, you know, our our what what we sort of go towards or drawn towards is just correcting an error that we see in whatever the movement is that we're trying to improve. And then giving them some sort of solution to that, you know, to that error that they made, correcting it. And again, as I said before, that's not coaching. That's just giving the solution to the athlete. We need to do a better job of put the athlete into a position where they're finding their own solutions. We can talk about what we feel is an error, what is not an error, but the solution has to come from them. And too much coaching is you know, and we see this all the time and I do this all the time and all of us do it all, all the time. And we just need to, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a continuing challenge for me not to do this is an athlete does a repetition of whatever they come back and we say, this was good. That was bad. This was good. That was uh, bad. Try this. Yeah, yeah. I do that. Right. All the time. That's yeah. not coaching. I know that I isn't, know. that's yeah. not helping <laughs> build a stable technique. Yeah. That's just giving the answer. Yeah. That's not how you learned in school how to do anything you were never taught or never told to no never you never learned anything by just being given the answer from a teacher or from a well parent. you never learned oh, anything but that's how you were that's taught what I mean. you yeah didn't learn anything yeah but for sure we were taught and that's that how yeah you know 99.9 percent .9 of coaches that's how they coach mm -hmm. including myself like i'm putting myself in that right mm -hmm. that's for many years that's what i did that and even now to some to some extent sometimes the athlete comes back, they're looking for a correction from me. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm more confident now in my approach to things where I can say, that's not my job. My job is just to help you identify, you know, maybe some of the more appropriate strategies and push you in that direction. Maybe identify some of the inappropriate strategies and keep you away from those. Essentially just keeping you within the guardrails. And I think that is even more important when you're trying to change a technique. Can you give me an example? Like, like, so uh, like, give me, a, like, I know what you're saying. So, but give me an example. So maybe from, I don't know, Jody or someone like, you know, of a technical fault they were, they were working with and, and what you, what you actually said as opposed to, you know, well, yeah. Like what you, like, did you, you said, so I guess, yeah, I mean, like, I guess yeah, let's, give, let's give a, yeah, let's give a simple example of, of uh, clearance, first step clearance on an acceleration. So whether it be from a, a two point, a three point, a four point or a blocks. So that initial step, the clearance, right? So that's that's something that a lot of athletes kind of struggle with because it, it kind of sets up the, the you know, the, at least the next few steps. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, it, and if you go a little bit too high or a little bit too low, it's, it's has a knock on effect for a few steps before you can kind of, you know, struggle, get your way out of it. Right. So, so for those who aren't familiar, um, too low would be dragging that swinging foot on the ground. Too high would be the heel coming up into the butt. Sure. Okay. On the swing leg. Yeah. I'm just trying to Fine. Yeah. create a picture. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, if you've got, you know, one of the, um, 
quote unquote errors that you see a lot of sprinters or team sport athletes make during acceleration is you see a quote unquote casting of the swing leg shin yes. mm -hmm. where the foot comes out in front of the knee at at a toe off position of the stance leg the swing leg foot is in front of the knee and therefore when it comes back down it's generally going to strike significantly in, in front, front of the right. center of mass and it's essentially a breaking step and you have to pull yourself underneath the center of mass rotating the upper body on top of the foot until you can actually start the pushing again right that's a a quote-unquote error in acceleration that we see with a lot of athletes especially a lot of say uh, younger athletes so you know a correction to that would be they, or the problem could be so we have to identify what the problem is first if the athlete has pushed out too low then they're going to be you know swinging out or casting to catch themselves essentially otherwise they're going to fall on their face right mm -hmm. maybe the athletes come and pushed out at the correct or the, the appropriate angle but hasn't pushed hard enough, hard enough right. and it swings out because you know they're just a little bit too slow in the air or isn't so it's identifying what the yeah. problem is first yeah. And then I can say as a coach, um, all right, you pushed out too low there. This is this is what happened. You're, you're, you cast it out. Your foot came out in front of the knee. You uh, struck the ground in front of your center of mass, and you were just basically breaking for a few steps before you can actually start pushing again. And you did this because you pushed out too low. So in this next one, I want you to push out a little bit higher. And then the foot won't cast as much and the foot can come underneath the center mass and the acceleration will feel a little bit cleaner and crisper. It won't feel like it's as much effort. And then in most cases, that's what the athlete could do or will do. And we can say success. That's mm -hmm. the incorrect way of coaching. I've just given, I've told them what the problem was. Sounded pretty good And to I've me. told them what the solution was. <laughs> right. Yeah, rather yeah. than yeah. having a conversation about the problem identifying what the problem is based upon that conversation, not me identifying it. And then through that conversation, also coming up with a strategy to try to implement into the next repetition to maybe speak to whatever that yeah, problem was. When you was. say coming up with a strategy, you mean the two of you coming up with a strategy? Because you probably have something in your head the way you want to Again, see it. it you're, my, you're, my job right, but my you, job as a coach is to facilitate that, not to prescribe it. Right. But when you say that, to come up, quote unquote, come up with a solution, you're yeah. what you're really saying is lead them to come up with their own solution. Am Correct. I right? Okay. 100%. Okay. Yeah. And, and as I said, with some athletes, sometimes in some situations, yeah, ex exactly. We may have to prescribe. If they don't understand or know or have the knowledge, we might have to, we might sometimes actually have to say, this is the solution. Go and try that. Come back, really pay attention and come back and talk to me about it and tell me what you thought. And then, I'm, then, I'm, then I'll, you know, on the next repetition or maybe a couple of repetitions later, I will start challenging them to come up with a solution yeah sometimes we just have yeah. to tell them yeah you know dude yeah, i'm I just not i have not been doing a good job with that <laughs> i've been there i've been there this isn't a foreign concept to me i mean i i i i you know i mean i know well let, let's put it to the, today with dizzy i always let her when we're outside i try to get her at, to to finish the workout off and same with this other evan kid uh, to finish off the workout throwing on their own. I say, and I just say, you figure it out. 
you know, the, the take take a few rounds and throw it just without me there. And you know, I am I am uh you know, I'm a I'm like most coaches, right? I'm a control freak, right? And and uh or a lot of coaches. And um sometimes I have learned in the past. Now, so, sometimes I'm disciplined and keep my mouth shut, and I'm glad we had this conversation. <laughs> sometimes I have to remove myself from it, right? Like seriously, I do. I, I, yeah, he's smiling and laughing at me, but, but it's true. No, I'm not. No, I'm not at all. No, I'm not. Hundred percent. I'm the same. Okay. I will. I will often remove myself. I'll walk. You know, they'll be doing something pretty technical, like maybe do doing block starts, mm-hmm. and I'll go a hundred meters away mm-hmm. and watch from a hundred meters away. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I'll, I'll yeah. often do that, and that's 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 not even, you know, a lack of discipline for me mm-hmm. per se. It's just that okay. As an athlete now, my coach is 100 meters away. He's not going to give me the solution. I got to figure this out by myself. So it's putting more pressure on the athlete to do that. That's why I remove myself. It's not to not to remove the the potential of me saying something. You know what I you know what I came up with this year co- again coaching Agna. It's too bad that didn't work out because it was uh, she was such a learning experience for me um, in in a lot of ways, but. Uh, you know, not to get too much into her personality, but she was very quiet and introverted person, right? And I'm not, right? So you can imagine, you know, one-to-one coaching is difficult enough, right? It's so hard when it's one-to-one for all the reasons that we've been talking about. And, but when it's one-to-one and one is an extreme extrovert like I am, and the other one is an extreme introvert like she is, that's a recipe for disaster. And I noticed at the beginning, I was probably driving her nuts, right? So like, you know, because I'm always talking, you know, and she's quiet and, you know, anyways. So what I came up with was, you know, before she moved to Chicago, I was, I, she was sending me videos. I was, I was doing screenshot videos with a commentary on her mechanics, sending it to her. And actually, it was working pretty good, right? But that's before we got really, you know, before we really deconstructed things. We didn't do that till, you know, and that only went on a couple few weeks, and then she moved to Chicago. But then later, I after you know once after maybe a month of coaching her in Chicago, I thought you know I could see this coming, this problem, right? We we didn't have a problem, but I could see it. Like I, so I started doing that. I invested in, I bought a bunch of GoPros with a remote and, and two angles and all this, right? And and uh, um, and I would film it. I really wouldn't say much in workout or try not to, you know, was good, I had my good days and bad days, but I would film it and then I would, away from workout, do a video, analyze it, keep it short, as short as I could, send it to her. And I'd say, this is what I, I want you to work on tomorrow. And we would show up and she would work on it and I wouldn't I wouldn't say anything. And that worked. That's what got her to 66 meters, right? And then we and then the, I, I don't know what happened after that. The thing started. Yeah, I think of, that's a really that's a really good uh, strategy. And I, I actually do something very similar myself. So it's after a more technical quote unquote session. You know, I'll I'll go over the video, I'll make some kinograms, I'll send the video and or the kinograms to the athlete, make a couple comments, make a couple suggestions, ask maybe ask a couple questions, and that's it. But at actually at the track, my goal is to say nothing. 
Yeah. You know, yeah. obviously I'm always going to say something, but the goal is to, be, to, you know, limit it to as few words as I possibly can for the day. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? That's probably a good place to end. <laughs> We're at an hour and six Oops. minutes and we wanted to keep this at an hour. So, Hey, that was good, dude. I, I, uh, I, I got a lot out of that. Honestly, I'm being, I'm being truthful here. So that's good. And then maybe that's something we can talk about again. I, uh, I'm glad you're back on this. It's good having you. I, you know, I do want to, I think at the end of our last podcast, we started talking about transferring that. And I think we got to, I think we got to explore that a bit because I kind of kept my mouth yeah, shut sure. there. I didn't want to, I didn't want to say too much because I knew it would explode. Yep. So, all right, man. So maybe, maybe that'll be next well, I, time. And I also, we, we, we managed to get through this entire thing without yelling at each other once. So, I don't uh, yell done. at you. I well don't done. yell at you. We, I don't, you, you call it, it's, Derek, you're yelling at me right now. Yeah, see, that's I'm, not I'm yelling. It's not you. You want me to yell at you? I'll yell at you, but you won't. Oh, you're yelling. You're definitely yelling at me. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, appreciate man. You. Yeah, I appreciate you too. All right, take care. All right.